Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Very happy to be with you again and thank you for tuning in with us. An amazing uh, topic today again from the book of Daniel, chapter 5. I'll encourage you to grab the Bible if you're home and if you can. If you're driving, just stay with us and uh, we'll uh, try to present this uh, study as best as we can and uh, you'll be blessed. I would like to just welcome the panel today and... Um, First uh, person I'd like to welcome after uh, we missing a couple of times, uh, Ken. Thank you very much for joining us uh, again today. Great to be back again, Nick. Thank you. And Will, so thank you for coming back again. It's great to be here. All right, Len, thank you also for joining us. Well, you don't really need to thank me, but I do it gladly. And hello, listeners. Lija is also present here today, and thank you for uh, your uh, part into this, Lija. Thank you. I feel very privileged. And Helen is our facilitator for today. Helen, thank you for uh, putting together this, uh, organizing this Bible study, and uh, thank you for joining us, too. Well, I believe it's me that should be thanking you for the privilege. It's, it's great to do a study, and it's great to come here and study with the listeners as well. As I mentioned, uh, this uh, book is an amazing book and people uh, really need to look into it, you know, and learn uh, the messages which the Lord is trying to, to bring it before us, particularly in the time we live in. And uh, this book, the book of Daniel, in um, correlation with the book of Revelation, it's something that uh, lots of people probably missing out of, uh, of the blessings from this book. But we are trying to bring alive the message from this uh, book and as I said there will be also allusions to the book of Revelation too. Helen uh, will just uh, pass the microphone to you and please just guide us through. Thank you very much Nick. It is an amazing um, book as Nick has said and even though some of the stories some of the children learn when they're in, in um, Sabbath school or in church at Sunday school it's interesting to go through the Bible part by part and sort of put it all together like a jigsaw. I, I just find these are just incredible, the lessons that we can learn from them. And I'm sure the panel feels the same way. But before we get underway, Ken, would you lead us out in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, Lord God, what a privilege to be here today. We thank you so much, Lord, that we have your words in front of us, that we can share these words with so many people and we pray, Lord, for each and every listener today that they will think about the things that they hear today because we're talking about the wonderful and amazing book of Daniel, which gives us a history of the earth from the beginning to the end and the soon return of Jesus. This is such an important topic, and it's certainly one that people really need to look into. And we pray, Lord, that our words, your words, Heavenly Father, will inspire them to dig deeper and search out the hidden things of God. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ken. Well, a few weeks ago, we were having an interesting lesson, and I think um, Pastor Gary was leading out. And I'm looking at what we can learn from the past. And Celine, can you just share that again with us, please? The lesson of the bad rash. Yes. One of our neighbours across the road and along the street a little bit is a widow. She had some large, sword-leafed, spiky-tipped cactus plants that she wanted to get rid of. And I promised to help her, and I took this particular occasion to go over with my trailer and the car to remove these cacti. <laughs> took an axe. I tell you, that was pretty hard going, especially because you couldn't get 
in too close with an axe. After doing this for a while, I went home and I got the chainsaw, and that worked beautifully. The trouble was, all these bits of cactus pulp, well, not all of them, but a lot of them, got on my skin. I was wearing a short-sleeved shirt, and I think I was wearing long pants, fortunately, and that was fine until the next day. And then I got this rash come all over my arms, and I tell you, it looked like I had chicken pox in triple. The moral of the story is, well, we did take all the cactus away, and I carted it down to the rubbish dump, and that was all good. But I will never cut cactus down again with a chainsaw unless I'm very well protected. Mm, so that was a good lesson, wasn't it? Yes, now, it was how a painful would, one. How would it be if you taught us that lesson and then we went and did, did the same thing? Would we have learned from that? So the lesson here is that we can learn from the past, can't we? Yes. Um, if we really want to. Okay, so last week we studied about Nebuchadnezzar, who, though it took a long time, he finally learned a powerful lesson. I'd like you to tell me how he learned the lesson, through what, by whom, and interpreted by whom, or if somebody else wants to too. And then I want you to read for me Daniel 2.21, Len. Well, I'll read from Daniel 2.21 first. The lesson that God was trying to teach him was that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the top of the tree. And Nebuchadnezzar made a proclamation. He said, He, referring to God, changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning, which he wasn't for quite a long time. Uh-huh. Okay, so he was going to learn a very valuable lesson. Yes, it took him a long time to learn that lesson. Uh-huh. There were four goes, really learning the lesson until the penny finally dropped okay. and Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and recognised it, it was interesting, he became not the top of the tree he became the stump of the tree he didn't he, he realised that God yes. was sovereign yeah, perhaps um, Ken, would you like to share with us Daniel 4.37 where we finished up last week a statement that Nebuchadnezzar made after he learnt these lessons I'm reading from the King James Version here now I, Nebuchadnezzar Praise and extol and honour the King of Heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase, or in other words, humble. Wow, that was a change of attitude, wasn't it? Certainly was. It really is a testimony, well, not only a testimony in the fact that he learnt the lesson, but it was a testimony how God can change a person's whole attitude in their heart, isn't it? And sometimes God needs to do that with us. And sometimes it can be a pretty hard lesson to learn, can't it? But, you know, we have a wonderful God who knows our needs with that. Sorry, Lynn. Yes, I was just thinking of a lesson I learned when I was a child. I was being a bit cheeky to my mum. I have no idea what I was being cheeky about. And mum must have been a bit exasperated with me, and she gave me a smack across the face. It wasn't a jaw-breaking smack. It was a realisation smack. And I realised that I was quite out of place in what I was doing. And sometimes in our lives, there are incidents where we actually come to grips with reality rather than a fantasy, which we often dwell in, thinking things are better than they are or thinking that we are better than we are. There's a time 
when we sometimes have to come into this reality and that was Nebuchadnezzar's situation. Thank you, Len. It's a pity that his grandson, he was his grandson, wasn't it, Belshazzar? It's a pity that he didn't learn the lesson as well. I think, um, Will, have you got something that you can share with us on that? Yes, Belshazzar had been given many opportunities for knowing and doing the will of God. He had seen his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, banished from the society of men. We recall what happened to him. He had seen the intellect in which the proud monarch was taken away by the one who gave it. He had seen the king driven from his kingdom and made the companion of the beasts of the field. But Belshazzar's love of amusement and self-glorification effaced the lessons he should have never forgotten. He committed sins similar to those that uh, brought signal judgments on Nebuchadnezzar. He wasted the opportunities graciously granted him, neglecting to use the opportunities within his reach for becoming acquainted with truth. That says a lot, doesn't it? Yes, Len. Some people have um, wondered if Belshazzar was ignorant of the things that happened in the past. But really there was no reason for him to be ignorant. He was probably educated in the history of the nation and that would have been very important in this world's prime nation, the most powerful nation. He would have known. The problem was he never applied the lessons that Nebuchadnezzar learned to himself. That's a very good... You were saying that we learn from history. Mm. The problem is a lot of us don't learn from history and this was Belshazzar's situation. He knew about it, but he never applied it to himself. Mm, And that's a very good point, Lynn. Thank you. Nick? I was just going to say that uh, in today's study, we particularly will deal with with a topic uh, from arrogance to destruction. When you look around us today, particularly in the Western world, we live in a very... uh, self-sufficient environment and uh, most of us we are so arrogant in terms of uh, uh, looking back and see who's providing because even the kingdom of Babylon when you look around God sets up we read those words kingdoms and he takes away kingdoms everything what happens in this world it's in God's plan and if we as human beings we missing out that point that we are here not just because of ourselves and because of our intelligence or our whatever is in life, then we are doomed to do the same thing and make the same mistake like uh, Belshazzar. And that's what I believe in this study today, we are trying to make applications for us too. Not only we learn from the past, we'll see what happens there, but how can we learn? and not make the same mistake in the context we live today. I'll just say this mm-hmm. in reference to what Nick said. The Bible indicates that God is in control. Absolutely. In fact, I should say it doesn't just indicate, it says quite clearly that God is in control. He's sovereign. Mm. So many people ask the question, well, if God's in control, why do things seem so much out of control? Well, we have to recognise that there's somebody's thrown a spanner in the works. God is patient, he's long-suffering, but one day God will say, this is it, 
this is enough. I am now going to take positive action to end all the mess that this world is in. That's the time that we need to be prepared for. Absolutely. Good point. Yes. I think that was a lesson also for the entire nation because they were pagans, they worshipped pagan idols and God wanted them to realize that he is the true sovereign God and was not a lesson or a lesson for the kings but it was a lesson for all the other people the, the entire nations in that time how powerful that the king was the one that went through that what a powerful witness to all the people to see it was the king possibly if it was a common laborer it might have had such the same impact ken and then will thanks yeah i just wanted to add that that's a really important point that Len has brought up and it, it's something that as christians we can understand very well that there are so many people in the world non-christians but they look at the terrible things that are happening basically every day and wonder to themselves, well, if there was a God, why does he let these things happen? And it's a very valid question, but you do need to understand the Bible a little bit to really get this question answered correctly. Mm. There's an enemy. The enemy is Satan, and it's his doings. I was just going again to come back to the point of um, how can we realize the will of God in our life. And I like to say that Babylon, even though they worship other gods, they knew very well about the living God. They took captives, the people of God, Israel. They knew what's going around. And the message was actually, if I could translate it for today, for many God's people also, because there were many people in that time who believed in the living God, but they lost sight of the living God. They were trapped into the power and the realization of this life. As Babylon sprang out, you know, and was one of the wonders of the world. Now, again, we are here today, and as I mentioned, in the, particularly in the Western world, you can do all sorts of things, you know, you, you can be easily fooled and proud of yourself. But the thing is, can this take us away from the blessings of God, which he prepared for us all. I believe absolutely, because all things come from God. It's not all the good things. Can I have Will first, and then you? <laughs> Thanks. I think a converted uh, Nebuchadnezzar is a powerful witness to a nation if he's a king. Surely they must have known. We must remember that only about 23 years since the death of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, this, these things take place. Now, in 23 years, you don't lose a knowledge completely of the living God. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Thank you. Back in this time and other times in the world's history, people regarded their success as being attributed to their God. In other words, they regarded that if they had good seasons, that Baal was on their side. Mm -hmm. When the Babylonians captured the Israelites and then later on the, the Judahites, later translated as Jews, they had this idea that their gods were more powerful than the living God. 
and they probably held this view for a long time but it was through the experiences of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel that they came to realize at least the king did and others should have because the king made a proclamation that the living God was more powerful than their useless gods the sad part was that they uh, they weren't monotheists they believed in many gods didn't they and they kind of tacked God on there as well instead of realizing that their gods were from wood and metal and what have you whereas God or as Paul found out the unknown God he is the living God isn't he I just wanted to add something about these gods and that is the fact that it's often talked about the Bible and people say, oh, but the gods of these people, there are no other gods, only almighty God. These gods were just statues of wood and stone and they didn't exist in any other form. So they weren't gods as we would know almighty God. But I'll ask a question. I mean, I don't necessarily have a, an answer to that, but if you have, probably may help. What do you reckon, were these people in that time creationists or not? The reason I'm asking that, and I will just give another example here, because we can still believe in God, I mean, or be creationists, and have many other gods, which will take away, uh, uh, you know, us from the living God. And that's probably what happened there in that time. Now, as I said, I, I don't have an answer if they were cre creationists, but I tend to believe that they believed that they were created. But they, I don't think so at that time they believed in evolution. But they drifted away from the living God and they start to worship themselves and even worship their gods. Because worshipping their gods, actually, they put themselves in the picture. Mm, one of the differences is they were worshipping stone and you know idols from stone and wood and whatever. Today, our gods, not necessarily from wood and stone, our gods can be what? Money, power, fame, you know. Profession. Um, yeah, profession. Whatever we put before God yeah. has become the idol. Correct. Yes. I think myself, no, this is my own personal opinion, so I'm not saying everyone will agree with this, but I honestly believe that today society is really not that much different from people 6,000 years ago. I think we're still very similar in our thoughts and actions. That's worth thinking about, yeah. Okay, I want to go back again. I just want to go back again to Nebuchadnezzar's time because it's good to just reflect on some of the things that Belshazzar should have known and it should have helped him. But there was an image that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar saw and I think we started about three or four weeks ago. Can you tell me who foretold about it? Well, how did it happen to Nebuchadnezzar for a start? How did he see this image? How was he given this image? Just answer that for me, if you can, before I go on to the next question. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Okay. And as far as I'm concerned, that dream wasn't just a dream because he'd eaten too much cheese the night before. I believe this is a dream actually given to him by God. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't, didn't even remember the dream, but he knew it was a very, very significant dream. So God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. I believe right. God gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream because mm -hmm. in it there are the future yes, was being and we foretold. Studied that, which is great. And only mm -hmm. God can foretell the future. Mm -hmm. People claim they can tell the future, but God can tell the future. How did Nebuchadnezzar find out about what it meant? Uh, he tried all his uh, reliable sources, who turned out to be turned out to be unreliable sources. The astrologers, magicians, and all those people. 
they couldn't tell. But Daniel, who was who had a connection, a powerful and strong connection with the God of heaven, was also uh, given that same dream and the interpretation of the dream. He then told King Nebuchadnezzar, and it was a dream about the future. Right. Yeah. And that was a great study too. So if anybody didn't listen at that time, please go back and have a look in Daniel. It's the most incredible study about the history of the world. Question, panel, did the dream come true? Oh, yes. A whole dream? Well, part of it is yet to occur. (sighs) Yes. But every section so far has come true, hasn't it? Yes. Okay, so it was talking about the kingdoms. Is that right? Yes. So it started off with Babylon, the head of gold. Then it went to? Medo-Persia. Which was represented by? Chest and arms of silver. Okay, and then it went to? The belly and thighs of bronze, which represented the Greeks. Great, and then it went to? Then it went down to the legs of iron, which represented the Roman Empire. Thank you, but it went further? It went down, then it goes down to the feet, where there was a mixture of iron and clay. And I believe we are in that time where... The feet are made up of a whole lot of bones and toes and things and just a society these days, particularly in Europe. You've got a whole lot of different countries supposedly united, but not really. Okay. Now, the reason I wanted to go back then, would Belshazzar have known all this? Well, you can assume that he did. I believe he 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 did, yeah. (laughs) And the reason why I say that is because when we get into have a look at what happened to Belshazzar, it was almost like... When Daniel, and it's again, it's it's something that Daniel interpreted, and we're coming to that. But it was again like he didn't squabble over it. He didn't argue with Daniel. He actually accepted, and I found that incredible. But then when I thought back, and I thought, well, if he knew what happened with all, you know, that what had been, he wouldn't have known what happened to all the history of the nations. Of course, we know that today. But he found out how powerful God was through watching Nebuchadnezzar, especially when he was humbled. You know, it would explain to me why this particular incident we're going to study didn't actually knock him off his feet completely. You know what I'm saying here? But I don't want to go too far in because we're going to study it bit by bit. But yeah, thank just, you, Nick. Just very qu- quickly because yes. we haven't even started uh, no, we're about the, to. We're uh, about chapter to. 5 where yes. uh, we'll learn uh, quite a few things yes. about this King uh, Belshazzar. But what I believe personally is that, again, an object lesson here, that he was enjoying, if you like, the benefits of the, that amazing empire which was created by his grandfather and other people before. And he was not for a minute thinking of the, maybe on the spiritual uh, side. He was just parting and doing all the things which uh, were available. This, the reason I said object lesson, because again, we can be in the same position Uh, just enjoying life, just cheering up, you know, and do all the good things, forgetting about the most important thing, the spiritual side of this. And particularly, Mm. you know, why do you think these things happen that in a Western society there is less interest in the will of God or in the uh, how God is is present in in the life of a person than in the, let's say, third uh, world, you know, countries. Jesus himself, he was offered the things of this world to worship before the devil. And he called him behind me, Satan. 
how can we avoid the same thing which we're going to look now yes mm. brought this king Belshazzar to destruction mm -hmm. and his kingdom and him his life yes we, we learned Nebuchadnezzar was brought to his knees and now we're going to learn something about Belshazzar and his knees too but we're coming to that Ken and then Lynn thank you I just think that's a really important point that Nick has brought up. It's the things of this world. I think today many people, because the majority of us in the Western world anyway, we have reasonable incomes and a reasonable standard of living and we can have all this stuff in our lives and we think, well, we're happy we don't need anything else, not realizing that all this stuff actually comes from God. It's his world. It's all his things that he's put in the world mankind's able to make these amazing things and i think this is part of the reason that less people believe in god today mm, good point in answer to both those previous comments i believe that the reason the people back then including belshazzar and many people in t of today just carry on partying if you like through their lives is because they don't take God seriously. I want to read to you a little bit from Second Peter chapter 3. It says, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So mm. what can be done about being ready? Well, we'd have to take God seriously that one day God is going to throw the switch and things will not continue like they are now. And the thing is, because we can look back on history and we can see how this first dream of Nebuchadnezzar came true, then we, we can know that one day God is going to call us into question, isn't he? That the judgment will come. Is it going to be good news or is it going to be bad news? It depends on your daily choices now. Okay, let's quickly go into Daniel 5 verse 1. Lynn, would you read that for us? King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Okay, so he gave this. That was quite common to throw banquets in those days. Um, but can you tell me, or let's throw it over to the panel, what may have motivated the king at this time to throw a party because it was really a time of, that was inappropriate and dangerous because the army, the Assyrian army, was outside the walls? I think, Helen, part of it was a question of pride. Uh, Babylon was the greatest empire of that day, and the particular city itself was just just the most amazing place according to Bible history and so we have this king who's sitting in this amazing palace shall we say uh, city that's never ever been overrun by anyone and he thinks everything's good and everything's safe let's have a party and have a laugh at the people outside that's trying to attack us that's a good point because today we can feel so safe and secure and you know we feel we don't need God yeah it's a very good point you've yes, taken the you. words out of my mouth <laughs> He felt, and the people felt, secure and impregnable. I've um, read various comments on this as to why he would have done it. Some said it was because of the New Year celebrations. Others have said it was his coronation. Some have said to build up the morale of the people. 
But regardless of, of what his motives were, I, I think we can learn that lesson that, you know, we, when we think we're secure and safe, that's when I believe Satan comes into our life and he just wants to pull us away. And we can easily be deceived. Yes, Lydia? The empire actually was built unconquerable. So he, as a king, and uh, as his grandfather, who was a king before, they felt so secure that they were thinking that nobody can enter in with the walls that they build it very high and very wide. They they never thought that they will be defeated. Doesn't it remind you a bit of the story of the Titanic? Yeah. It's so so close to it, isn't it? Thank you, Nick. That's what uh, I want to say that in men men's eyes that was the truth. Because they thought, oh, nobody can conquer us. But they missed out about God in the picture and that's what we can say about ourselves many mm. times we'll say and you know we have those things in the bible when the full man you know uh, was uh, told that his life will be taken away in that night because he was boasting about himself mm. and the self-sufficiency it's interesting though when you think about it do you think maybe that he he had an inkling that time was running out because they only had a certain supply of food and water, I think about 20 years or something, they figured they could keep going. Yes. But what if the siege went on longer? I wonder if he actually had that in mind somewhere along the line. I mean, just time was short. Time short for us, not only here, but in the, t- in the time. Yeah. The very end. quickly on that one, I witnessed myself uh, a fall of a um, great dictator in Romania, Ceausescu. He built up resources and things like that for at least 30, 40 years and bunkers and everything else and nu- nuclear bunkers and all all those things that he and his clique can survive for many, many years. I was called back in the army in Bucharest in 1989 and I witnessed with my own eyes how he was brought down in one day. I was working there, uh, we were building big buildings, one of the biggest buildings in Europe and the second in the world, it's in Romania. And uh, we were building those buildings there. Happened to be myself on the top of the building, on the terrace, was still in construction, and I could see some movement on the roads in Bucharest, and I could see some tanks, and I thought, what's going on? Nobody knew anything. Just came like like a like a bomb and it was exactly the same like in the time of like a thief in the night Mm. and again from that time on now myself at that time i was not i was not giving my life to god Mm. i was looking for the world and for the parties i was in the show business i was a dancer and every day every night for me was a was a party but that day reality reality hit me yeah. And I had to ask some questions um, and also answer some of the questions we were pondering in my mind. Mm. Okay, thank you for sharing. Okay, let's move on. Daniel 5, 2 and 3. Uh, what have we got here now, the next part of the story? Please, Will. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, they had a party, great feast, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Verse 3. They brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, 
and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. Okay, so what was so important about these silver and gold? It had been made for a sacred use mm-hmm. um, to in the worship services of the true God, the creator God, the God of heaven. And to be used like that was uh, a total affront to God. I see a parallel by what happened then to what happens now. When you listen to people talking, very often they'll use the name of God in vain. God's name is sacred, it's holy. And to use his name carelessly is just like what was happening back in this time in the ancient civilization of Babylon. Mm. And that expression, oh my God, I find that so obnoxious. And I quite often, if I'm talking to somebody and they say that, oh, you have a God, do you? What's your God like? And I ask some questions and it pulls them up. Mm. Because it's a throwaway phrase these days, but it shouldn't be. So true. And in so many other ways too, things that have been set apart by God, we misuse. For example, there's a Sabbath day. How many people desecrate the Sabbath day? There is our own bodies. We're told that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, we do all to his honour and glory. How many of us follow that? God is holy, as you pointed out. But I heard about uh, somebody sharing with me that uh, in their church, they um, held all sorts of uh, functions there in the holy place where God said, you know, even to Solomon, you may know the story, when God put aside something and blessed something, and in this case, there were these vessels, you know, which were made, as Len said, for a special holy purpose to be used in the temple to bring your attention to God, if you like. There was nothing special in, in a, necessarily in that gold or in that uh, silver, but it was special in the, in the service which they were purposed. I just want to add a little bit again. <coughs> Sorry, I'm talking a fair bit here. In front of me I have a Bible. How do I treat that Bible? I don't put other books on top of my Bible because I believe it's God's book, and so I treat it as such. Mm. Well, it's, it's like bringing it down a little bit more than that. It's like the flag, isn't it? You know, the Australian flag or your British flag or American flag or whatever. You know, you don't trample it in the ground, do you? I recall a little girl meeting a pastor visiting the home for the first time saying, Pastor, I know all what's in the Bible. He said, oh, yes, you know all what's in the Bible. Clever girl, tell me what's in the Bible. He said, "Uh, spare $10 note, uh, lock of Johnny's (laughs) hair, my birth certificate. Uh, I know all what's in the Bible. And that's perhaps an indication that we use the Bible for other reasons. That's Mm. a very good point. I do remember, as Len said, that when I was a a very young girl, um, I observed that when my mother placed the Bible and other le- uh, books. She always placed the Bible on the top of everything. Yes. And she taught me also that to treat the Bible as a holy book because she's the, bu- the Bible is the book of the books. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I go into quite a few homes, and I guess I've been guilty of it in the past too, where somebody is so engrossed in the television, you know, you walk in and there's the, the um, TV 
times, whatever you call it, I don't know, but telling you about the program, sitting on top of a Bible, you know. And to me, that's almost like the television is more important to worship than God. Yeah. We need to be careful. And probably we diverted just a little bit uh, here, but looking at the, uh, the king, Belshazzar, obviously he knew the importance of these vessels because they were put in a special place by his grandfather mm-hmm. not for the common use mm-hmm. even though they were put in the in the uh, house of their gods but they realized that this is something important but now here this young man this king full of arrogancy he thought you know what i can even do something which nobody did before and that's sometime the attitude Disrespect and the foolishness of some people and powerful people mm-hmm. to totally dishonor what is uh, for a special purpose. Mm. Let's just move on a little bit. Lydia, it wasn't just the fact that they they had the um, cups, they took them out. It wasn't just the fact they were drinking from them. What else went, did he do that was so, so wrong in Daniel 5.4? It's mentioning here that as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So he is mentioning, we observe that he's mentioning the six types of material that uh, Babylonian used before and also the, cate- the six categories of gods that represents the totality of the Babylonian deities and also uh, the order of the materials that follow the components of the dream statue of Nebuchadnezzar, Mm -hmm. except that the wood replaces the clay that is at the bottom of the Very interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. Uh, I also would like to mention that um, by sizing the sacred vessels of the Jerusalem temple to be used as drinking cups in that blasphemous celebration, this Babylonian king demonstrated that he not only refused to honor the God of the Hebrews, but he also exerted willfully contempt against him. So by profaning the temple vessels, the king was expressing his most outrageous contempt of the reality those objects represent. So uh, such objects though in exile, remained holy, and Belshazzar should have treated them with utmost respect. Uh, I remember that uh, I read in Isaiah that, uh, I think it's in Isaiah 52, verse 11 and 12, when Isaiah demanded purity from the exiles who would carry the sacred vessels back to Jerusalem, and uh, Belshazzar showed no respect for the temple vessels and uh, by defiling them in this celebration let's say blasphemous celebration he was also challenged God himself it was really an abomination to God yes, wasn't correct. it correct um, Ken you wanted to say something yeah I find this again an amazing verse because we mentioned a little while back that these gods they were not gods only gods of stone and uh, brass and wood and all this sort of stuff and here this verse actually tells us that these people knew they were worshipping idols, stone and wood idols. Makes it very clear. Len, what happened? What was the king's reaction? Can you share with us, please? Verse 5 and 6. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared 
and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together, and his legs gave way. I like this. It's uh, quite dramatic, isn't it? it is First of all, his face turned pale, and his knees started to knock and then he collapsed. Such was the lesson that he was about to learn. Mm. This was a very significant thing and he knew it. Yes. And he was absolutely scared. Before, it was full of bravado. Oh, the Medes and Persians are outside. Don't have to worry about them. We're impregnable. Yes. Drink the wine, etc. And suddenly... He was brought to his senses. Mm, I read in one commentary they said that he appeared to have lost his bodily functions, is how they put it. And I thought, well, wow, this guy was scared, you know, witless, really, wasn't he? Mm. I love the part about it. His his knees were knocking. Have you ever been that scared of something that your knees are knocking? I mean, I've shaken a bit in fear, but I don't think I've ever heard my knees knocking as such. But yeah. When I read this about the writing on a wall, so. The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. This scene uh, reminds me about God when he wrote the Ten Commandments mm. on the two tables of stones. So I visualize here that the writing on the walls was written in fire let letters, in flames that was so terrifying. I don't think it was written in black ink or in pen or in uh, paint. I think it was in flames, fire yeah. letter flames that ter terrified the yes. king so tremendously. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. And I think it yeah. stayed there. Uh, it stayed there and it remained there until um, Daniel arrived and gave the interpretation because it took some time you know to call all the others yeah just uh, uh, before we moving uh, a bit further i want to make a parallel also with uh, the book of revelation because i mentioned a bit earlier that these two books uh, go hand in hand in many aspects and i would like to just read this uh, verse from the book of revelation uh, chapter um, 17 mm -hmm. verses four to six because here it's a uh, another representation of Babylon and uh, what happened actually that time with this king and his arrogancy this time he says in uh, from verse 4 the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations of the filthiness of the fornication and on her forehead a name was written mystery Babylon the great the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus and when I saw her I marveled with great amazement. The reason why I want to make this parallel is because it's exactly how Daniel felt. And we may look into the next verses to read that, w what happened there. This king was so full of himself 
And the Babylon in the last days, which we're living in, because we're mentioned here, it's again fallen, fallen and apostate Christianity. It's acting exactly in the same way like this full king. Thank you, Nick. Uh, let's go back to Daniel 5, if we may, 7 to 9. Lydia, whom did the king call for? In Daniel 5, 7 to 9. Yes, the king called out for the en enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to those wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then... All the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Okay, so they, like before, they couldn't tell, could they? It happened exactly <coughs> the, the same like yes. his grandfather. Yes. So nobody could interpret the writing on the yeah. wall, and he became more terrified. Can I suggest something here? Because uh, we learn from the past, uh, and it was something clear there, and even written in their language, which these astrologers and all the magicians, they could have come out with something. But when you'll hear those words, what that mean, those words, those four words, I think they were terrified to tell the king what that means. It could well be. Yeah, and they, they be. could have just hold their tongue mm. and say, you know what, we are not going to tell the king this. But amazingly, that God had a man Absolutely. who can stand for himself, for God, and be bold and tell the king. And let's look into, the, into where we're going. how, how mm -hmm. Daniel approached this thing, because this is an amazing lesson for mm. each one of us to learn as God's people. And that brings me to Ken. I don't know if you had a comment, but I also want you to tell us or read Daniel 5, 10 to 12, please. And someone <coughs> remembered Daniel. But okay. if you have a comment to make before, uh, please do. Well, actually, there. I was going to say exactly yes. what Nick just said. It was okay. in their own language, yes. uh, which I find quite amazing, yet nobody really wanted to say much about yes. it. But yes. anyway. Thank you. Okay, uh, Daniel 5, 10 to 12. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house and the queen spake and said O king live forever let not thy thoughts trouble thee nor let thy countenance be changed there is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father the king I say thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, chandelins, and soothsayers. Forasmuch as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Boy, what, what a testimony for Daniel, wasn't it? Now That's let incredible. Daniel be called and he will show you the interpretation. Thank you so, so much. That's really, really interesting. In fact, all right, so enter Daniel and he comes in and he gives what I thought was interesting. He gives a history lesson. 
He gives a theology lesson and he gives a reading lesson, if you look a little further, which I find really interesting. Perhaps, um, Len, you can share that. Daniel 5, 18 to 24. All right, I'm going to pick parts out here. Mm -hmm. Verse 13 says, So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king asked him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father? And uh, he said he's heard about... Uh, Daniel being able to interpret the king's dream and so on and so on and then he made this declaration that if Daniel could interpret the writing on the wall which by the way has become part of our vernacular when the writing is on the wall it means your number's about to come up he said I will give you I'll clothe you in purple which is the colour of royalty a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel answered the king, but uh, he didn't actually hold his punches. He told the king basically, you are a silly fool. These are my words. You are a silly fool. You have not learned the lessons of the things that happened to your grandfather I think it was really mm-hmm. the Bible uses the word father and the queen was probably the queen mother and so he he tells the king uh, in this history lesson he says you haven't learned this and I'll pick it up in verse 22 but you his son O Belshazzar have not humbled yourself though you knew all this Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven through the drinking of this wine and so on, praise of their gods. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and your concubines drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which can't see or understand. But you did not honour God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. So this was to be a lesson. And in between there was a section that you didn't read out, but that's fine. It was where he gave him a theology section about saying about God, who was sovereign over all and all things belong to him. But, yeah, thank you. And, and Len alluded, alluded to yes, that. You know, but what what yes. was most important here, the attitude of Daniel. Daniel came very boldly here. He was an old man by this time. He had a lot of experience uh, in the empire, and he could see the foolishness of this king and his arrogancy and I think Daniel stood firmly even rejecting you know how what that means to reject king's offer to uh, dress you in you know and uh, give you gold and all sorts of things that was I will say almost like uh, that sentence mm-hmm. uh-huh. to refuse the king but Daniel knew his God and he stood for his God not being fearful of the context we lived in. Another object lesson for me today, are we staying bold for our living God in front of the most powerful people on this earth? It's true. It's interesting that um, Daniel only had the the position for a few hours, wasn't it? Uh, Will, you wanted to say something. On that very note, uh, Nick, you'll notice that everybody that approaches the king uh, starts off with, O king, live forever. Mm. Daniel doesn't do this. 
Daniel knows that that very night the king will lose his life. Lydia? Mm. Uh, I would like to mention in short here about this um, extravagant honors that the king promises to those who uh, will interpret the dreams. So, uh, purple clothing is a color worn by only the royalty in ancient times, a chain of gold which was a sign of high social status, and the position of the third ruler in, in the kingdom. So this is something important. Mm. Thank you, Lydia. I think you've got a quote that we have there too. Would you share that with us, please? Yes. The prophet Daniel first reminded Belshazzar of matters with which he was familiar, but which had not taught him the lesson of humility that might, might have saved him. He spoke of Nebuchadnezzar's sin and fall, and of the Lord's dealing with him, the dominion and glory bestowed upon him, the divine judgment of his pride and his subsequent acknowledgement of the power and mercy of the Lord, of the God of Israel. And then, in bold and empathic words, he rebuked Belshazzar for his great wickedness. He held the king's sin up before him, showing him the lessons he might have learned, but did not. Belshazzar had not read or write the experience of his grandfather, nor heeded the warning of events so significant to himself. The opportunity of knowing and obeying the true God had been given him, but had not been taken to heart, and he was about to reap the consequences of his rebellion. Thank you. Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes to go, and let's finish this chapter. Len, if you would quickly read for us, please, Daniel five twenty-five to 30. It's important that we know what is the interpretation and the words. Well, I'm going to um, just interpret it. Good. The writing on the wall was two, two words that were the same. I would pronounce them meany, meany, then there was another word, tekel, and then the last one was uparison or peris, which simply meant God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And uparison or peris refers to the Persians. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Well, the king kept his promise. He got the servants to bring the, the purple gown and the gold necklace and made him the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Last verse says, That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So important that that was the life of Belshazzar. It could have been so, so different. Just before we finish, Will, I did ask you earlier if you could do a little parallel, and I know Nick's done some of that, but a parallel between ancient Babylon in the book of Daniel and end-time Babylon in the book of Revelation. Have you got anything you'd like to add for that one, please? There's many, actually. Um, mm. Jeremiah talks about the literal Babylon. You dwell on many waters. Um, symbolic Babylon, the end of time, sits on many waters. The golden cup Nick spoke about. Babylon has fallen, Jeremiah 51 verse 8. 
and the Revelation 14, 8 says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Um, interestingly enough, in Jeremiah 51, it says about uh, ancient Babylon, As a stone shall Babylon sink and rise no more. Revelation says, Like a great millstone thrown into the sea, so shall Babylon be thrown down. Very great parallels, actually, between the Old and the New Testament, or the Old and the New Babylon. Mm, thank you. Yes. Just very quickly, I want to add something there. Even though when we're talking about the old Babylon, we're thinking of a nation, of an idolatrous nation, the spiritual Babylon, interestingly enough, is talking a lot about Christendom. It's talking a, a, a lot about the apostate Christianity. Did you want to say something in Ken? Um, yes, uh, I would like to um, remind some parallels between the ancient Babylon and uh, um, in the book of Daniel and uh, end time Babylon in the book of Revelation. So they both cause their subjects to be drunk. Uh, they both drink from golden cups. They both mix the sacred with the pagan. And they both are defeated by kings from the east. And they both fall... Uh, when the Euphrates River dries up. Mm. I want to just add one quick thing. Both ended or will end by surprise. Mm. Good. And just very quickly, I just wanted to add the... the it's, it's so interesting that uh, where we look today to find these people that's clothed the same way and scarlet and purple with gold around them and where they sit in the world, the great Babylon of modern days. And Will, you had something you wanted to quickly share at the end? Makes me think of the text, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Thank you, and I'd just like to finish up with a, a few words that jotted down here, that the writing on the wall was a message for all those who defy God. Although Belshazzar had power and wealth, his kingdom was totally corrupt and he could not withstand the judgment of God. God's time of judgment comes for all people, you and I as well. And if anyone has forgotten God and slipped into a sinful way of life, please, please turn away from your sin now before he removes any opportunity to repent. Ask God to forgive you now and begin to live by his standards justice. Thank you. Father in heaven, there are some uh, grandiose lessons to be learned from this story recorded in the Bible in Daniel chapter 5. It appears that Belshazzar never learnt those lessons. We pray that we and all those who are listening to our voices at this time will learn that, those lessons, that we will honour you and be awaiting your return which will come also as a big surprise. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 And thank you very much, everyone, for uh, this uh, Bible study. I believe uh, this is very important to look back into the Bible. And I encourage our listeners to pick up the Bible, read again chapter 5 in the book of Daniel, and uh, learn for yourself. And until then, may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.